you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and start with last week's episode. If you did listen to part one and you've been waiting with bated breath, the anticipation ends now. Welcome back to the second part of a two-part series featuring special guest Brent Vandermeer, a portfolio manager with Crosspoint Financial, IA Private Wealth. You know, if, if you get to a point where you're of diminished capacity and you've got a power of attorney acting on your behalf, powers of attorney do not have the power to change a beneficiary. So oh. you kind of set a rock rolling down the hill and at a certain point you may be still alive and the situation or landscape may have shifted and the rock's going to keep rolling. Like there, there's not, there's not really, uh, you know, to my knowledge, without a whole lot of legal work, uh, a way to change that or challenge that. So again, it's, but the other thing I'll say is, uh, how far back from the grave are you trying to reach? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'll challenge people like that. It's like, well, I want this kid to have 17%. I want this kid to have 19%. I want this kid to get this one. If they go to school, they're going to get this. And there's this whole list. It's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to be your advisor. I'm not yeah. adjudicating that mess. I'm not yeah. going to sit in the room with those heirs and try to walk through this with them because man, it's just, you're just going to have a whole bunch of people yelling. And, uh, you know, that's, and I don't, I don't think it's going to accomplish the goal that maybe you were hoping to set out to accomplish. So, you know, there there are limits and I don't know where you, you, uh, we draw the line differently, which is perfect because again, it's, there's different ways to do it. I imagine you hit a point as well where you're saying maybe that's, that is a bridge too far with, with regards to detailed planning. Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, usually that comes around in trusts, right? If someone is setting up a trust in their estate and, um, and then they've got the joy of setting all of these rules up and guidelines. And I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think you have to do the trust and make sure that your kids are protected because there can be very valid reasons for having a trust in place, right? Whether a grown child has a disability or their minor kids still or blended families or just bad marriages that you suspect might end up going their own way. Just so many reasons why that might be appropriate, but then a certain personality type, I'm sure you know it too, right? The very <laughs> detail oriented people who want everything, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed. And that's a, that's a commendable thing, but it's that over control and over designation. The idea of keep it simple and give the powers of your trustee, because obviously if you're going to set up a trust, you have to have a trustee. They should be able to override. I mean, even just in, in, in my own situation, I have kids who are still at home, right? I have four young kids and, um, and they, that, that idea of, Okay, here's the general guidelines in my trust, right? 18 years old, they get X, 25, they get Y, 30, they get Z, like all the rest. But the trustee has power to override that because I trust my trustee that they're buying a house or a Ferrari. Uh, they'll decide between the two as to what's a good purchase and maybe what isn't a good purchase at the time, right? And, and that's what, so don't let, don't you control from the grave, but if again, this maybe blends in the discussion of, do you have such a person? Um, but if you do have trusted people in your lives that can help you give them the power to, to make decisions and just let them you know, run with it later on. Don't over plan. Yeah. But, but Brand, I know your kids, they take the money and yeah. say, they're going to buy a house. They'd buy the house. As soon as, you know, the trustee walks out the door, they'd sell the house and buy the Ferrari. Your kids are that smart. They would figure that out. They would. they would. As an aside, you played poker with my kids once at my house, right? And you saw pretty darn good poker, especially the poker players, even the eight, eight, 
eight-year-old, right? I believe she yeah. took your money, Colin. No, I'm, that's, again, that's not how I remember it. It's, it's fascinating how you and I can be in the same room and have two different memories of the same situation. Oh, we will leave that for our listeners to decide which, which, which way it went. It was more believable. But listen, I, I will tell you that I've had this happen to me a number of times where I've had a client call up and say, hey, I need to come in and set up a trust for my grandkids. Great. Let's have a meeting. So they walk in and one of them wa walked in with their son. Ah. Said, I need to set up a trust for my grandkids. And I said, yeah. okay, so why, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, I want to be able to give them money for this, 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 and this. And the son's sitting there nodding up and down. Mm -hmm. And he's seems to be perfectly legit. True. And so I said to the client, I said, well, your son seems to be on the same page with all this. You know, why, why wouldn't you just, you know, give the money to him and then right. let him disperse the money the way that you're, you're describing, because he seems to be in complete agreement with it. Do you, uh, do you trust your son? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't really come out and say it. I'm not. Oh, uh, I thought you sure. would. I thought you would. I would probably meander around and get there and you'd be like, uh, poke in the eye. <laughs> well, because, you know, she, she was saying, I need a trust for my grandkids. And then, you know, well, what do you want it to accomplish? Because people don't understand what that means. All right. So let's, let's just go through that for a second. Right. If you're going to set up a trust, it involves a legal document. It involves a trustee and a settler. It involves an annual tax return. It involves, you know, lots of expenses and maintaining over time and yeah. the more complicated you make the trust and the longer it lasts, the more expenses that you incur. And again, the trust, whoever is the trustee is going to be restricted in what they could do, both by the restrictions you put on them, but there's also laws about being a trustee that, mm -hmm. that they're going to have to satisfy depending on jurisdiction, right? So it's a bit of a thing. Now, if there's something very specific you're trying to set up to accomplish, maybe it's worth it, but there has to be, in my opinion, a fairly strong motivation to do it. It yeah. used to be that there was a, a bigger tax reason for doing it because trusts yeah. used to get their own marginal tax rates and there was a big tax advantage to it. And that's, that hasn't been the case for a number of years now. So yeah. there's not a lot, if any tax advantages, in fact, some tax disadvantages. Disadvantages. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that aspect doesn't really make sense. So, sure. but if, if you're dealing with a disabled child, who's going to be disabled through their whole life or mm -hmm. use minor children, so there can be. Uh, can be things like that. I, I don't know where you draw the line, Brent, as far as when you think a trust makes sense and when you think it's more trouble than it's worth. Well, to me, it's, it's, I think you said it yourself earlier, just, just great. Um, what's the problem you're trying to solve, right? And that's, if you don't have a problem you're trying to solve, then you're over engineering something, right? And people are very keen. I think it's more awareness, right? Like people have just heard, oh, that's a great idea. I should do that. Or they come into a, like what to them and rightfully probably is a lot of money and they just want to do right by it and do the right thing. And so they think, well, that makes sense. I should just do that. I need one of those. Right. And well, you know, when you do that math that you were just talking about on, well, how much money are you putting in here? And do you realize it's going to be like to talk about those compliance costs you referred to, you know, easily two to $5,000 a year in fees and to lawyers, accountants, advisors, all that stuff. Um, is that really like from a percentage of the assets that are going into it? That's a pretty high management fee. If you want to think of it in that way. Right. And, uh, on top of how, what you're going to pay to actually have the money managed or in whichever way you do that. Right. So yeah. What's the problem you're trying to solve and is the solution, uh, really commensurate with that? Like, is that what you want to do? Right. And there's other ways of doing it. You may have not thought about, and like you said earlier, you'll probably have some ideas within 20 seconds about what other options might there be to, to solve that. Right. Not, not 
not every nail needs a hammer, I guess, is what we're saying, right? If that's the only thing you have in your toolbox, everything looks like a nail to get the story there, right? Um, yeah, so we, I would tend to avoid that. We really try to just do it when there's, when there is a need for it. If in Ontario, we call it the ODSP, right? You mentioned the disability um, situation. You need a Henson Trust to make sure that that's not going to uh, negate the income that they're getting. And, or they can't manage the money themselves for lots of different reasons, whether it's addiction issues or just mental competence issues too, that, you know, you want to protect them. That's a problem you're trying to solve. You're trying to protect them from decisions they might make that, you know, you know that they can't make on their own. And uh, like you said, the whole tax problems are not really solved anymore by that. It used to be as its own entity. And that's what people have to realize, you said it earlier, they're creating an entity, like almost like another person, right? The trust becomes like a person that um, has its own tax bracket. And it used to have the graduated rates that we could take advantage of, but now it's the highest marginal tax bracket. I've had some people sit in my office and say, I'd like to set up a trust. And I say, well, okay, what's your tax bracket? I know what it was, but and they did too. And I realized you're going to double your taxation by doing that, right? You're in a lower, lower tax bracket. So why again, are we doing this? You know, and, uh, um, yeah, so th th those are all things to think about, like what's the outcome going to look like? And, you know, we've just had the experience of whether in our own lives or at, at seeing many, many lives of clients, we've lived through different options and different ideas and strategies and kind of get an idea of which ones work and which ones don't work. Yeah, the other thing that a trust can protect against is putting somebody in a bad situation. Like if you've got a couple of, you know, children that have issues, whether through their spouse or through addiction or through your own habits and you, you say to an uncle or you say to a cousin or somebody as close as like hey i want to leave this money in trust for my kids and then you get to decide when they get money mm. well you, or, or you're putting them in the position of being the bearer of bad news maybe or being the disciplinarian or or disappointing them so again you're not necessarily doing that per se favors but again this is maybe a point of law firm and you have a well-documented right document and then the law firm gets to be the bad guy because uh, yeah. I would, I would caution against putting somebody in the middle of something that could go sideways and, you know, think all the way through, like at this point in time, it would be fine. Yeah. Well, think 10 years out, 20 years out, what's this going to turn into? Because again, if you're trying to protect somebody against themselves, or you're trying to protect somebody against something, then that person may not agree. There's the whole Britney Spears conservatorship thing, right? You know, at a certain yeah. point, it's, it's going to get messy. Maybe it was done for good intentions at one point, but the person you put in charge is now going to be in a lose-lose situation because it's going to be legally difficult. It's going to be morally fraught. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of stress. So again, just because you have a goal or an objective for somebody doesn't mean it's going to be easy to execute over their lifetime. It, be kind. Right? Don't, don't yeah. put somebody in a bad situation where they're going to have to be the bad guy for an extended period of time and have people yelling at them stuff. Well, this, this reminds me of one of the things that I'm passionate about more so now as I sort of approach the, the second half of my working career or what I hope is the second half. I've done it for 20 years. Maybe I got another 20, but the, this idea of talking about that, that successful transfer of money from one generation to the other. And I think we've talked about it a couple of times here now, but the communication aspect is so important. And to me, I, I, I see a growing sort of uh, distaste and many clients who come see us and think, I haven't done a good job with this. I feel like 
my advisor, who's not our, our two firms, hasn't really ever talked to me about how do I successfully transfer this money to my kids? And there's, there's so many issues at play here, whether someone's older and dealing with grown kids or, you know, younger in my case, and, you know, maybe uh, looking at a, a, you know, a, a younger professional, for example, who's making a lot of money and has assets now and says, how do I, how do I raise my kids well with that? Um, but how do I pass on money eventually to those kids? And, you know, I was reading a Williams group study the other day that said like actually 70% of intergenerational wealth transfers end up in failure and failure was being defined as the money was lost. Um, and it's, you know, the old adage, three, three generations of the money's gone, whether it's rags to riches to rags, or in my Dutch background, it was clogs to clogs in three, three <laughs> generations, right? And, uh, you know, but that's so, that, that, that's so true, right? And I think people have that, a lot of clients of my clients just have this inner sort of, ah, I want to try to address that. And that's, that's something that I've been trying to help clients with a little more. And I think you've, you've done this as well, right? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but the idea of having a family meeting of trying to, trying to build or create a space where they can have conversations with their kids. And, you know, for some, it's a non-starter, uh, right away. They're just not in a place to do that. But for those who are, you know, I, I actually had a really great meeting the other day with, um, middle-aged clients who brought in their now grown child, but into the meetings with me and, and, and having the idea that I, they, they wanted to teach them how they conducted meetings with a financial advisor, what kind of questions they asked and, you know, what, what, what kind of issues they were trying to solve. And, and even it was really fun, a difference in, in philosophy between the mother and the father, the husband and wife. Uh, one was very big on social values and social investing, environmental ESG type things. They wanted her investments to align with that. And in this case, the husband was very big on, I don't care what it is, just make me the most amount of money. And I've seen roles, all, it doesn't matter what gender or whatever it is. I mean, there's just different values. And I really loved how the mother, like the son actually asked the question, Hey, you guys are asking very different questions of Brent. Um, why is that? And the mother ended up saying, well, because her values, she wants those to be aligned with how she's investing. And that's very important to her. And she wants to make sure that what she's doing with her money aligns that way. And all, all this conversation was about these, these clients are really trying to put the work in now to make sure that their family's sense of mission or vision around their money is well communicated and well trained because this Williams group study that I talked about actually was, it, it, it exactly pinpointed that the cases that were successful were all around, did they, were they able to communicate the family's wealth and the family's vision and mission of how we deal with money? Like, how do we think about it? How did it get formed first of all? And how does it get moved on down, down the generations? And it's a challenging thing to do. It's not for everyone, right? You can't, you can't force this. It's some people may want it and may never be able to do it because the family dynamic is just not at a place where it is possible, but you know, where it is, that's something for me that's becoming really, really, um, very special because we can help find people's purpose for their money and, and, and help kind of do good. I think in a financial world, that's typically not very aligned or interested in finding those, those things to help clients with. So yeah, that, that, that's been a fun area to work with, with clients. And, and listen, let, let me go on the record as wholeheartedly endorsing the family meeting when, when they can go well, um, now as to the percentage of times those are successful versus not. I just want to head off a few meetings that people drag me into. 
and there'd be meetings like, Hey, my son's going to come in and open up a tax-free savings account and we're going to put some money in it. And I want you to teach him about savings. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not Oprah Winfrey. Um, I'm not Dr. Phil. This isn't going to be a changing moment. If the kid walks in and has got no interest in saving money and, you know, like spending every cent as soon as they get it, 45 minutes with me or three hours with me is not going to change their DNA. So don't send somebody to me for me to fix them or teach them the value of money because although I have considerable powers, (laughs) that's beyond me. The other meeting that, and the other intention that happens sometimes when I get into a family situation is I end up as judge where one member of the family is trying to make a point to another member of the family and expects that I'm going to agree with them and make a two to one. Therefore we win. Uh, again, not a good use of a meeting and you'll be amazed at how quickly I can duck that punch and not take anybody's side and frustrate perhaps the purpose of, of, of getting us together. Because again, a good advisor, in my opinion, is, is going to be able to help you to do things better that you're already inclined to do. We're not going to be able to change your DNA and convince a 17 year old that saving for a car is not a good thing to do. They should be saving for the retirement. You know, again, there's going to be things that are just not likely to happen. So make my suggestion is to moderate your expectations of, of dealing with an advisor. We're not there to take sides per se. We're not there to change somebody's disposition towards savings. We're there to try to help you effectively do what you're already intending to do. And there we can add a lot of value. And if those are your expectations, I think that, you know, you, you can learn lots. Um, but again, expecting that I'm going to settle a feud that's been going on for the last 15 years between two siblings. No, I'm not going to be able to fix that in in any, not the spot for us. Yes. No. And I do keep a whistle in my desk that I use from time to time when I feel I need to call, call a truce or a halt to the referee jersey on. Yeah, exactly. Technical foul. (laughs) Exactly. That's so I, I should get that. What I do have is a crystal ball that I often pull out and say, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me just consult my crystal ball a minute. Sounds very, very similar. Or my other question is, okay, so tell me exactly what day you're going to die and I'll do the math because this would be easy. Perfect. So. It's just the numbers then, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, you're exactly right. There's, there's lots of resources. And again, a, a, a good relationship with a good advisor, be it a lawyer, an accountant, or a financial advisor, should be able to point you in the directions of trying to have constructive conversations with your family, should guide you towards practical solutions that are as simple as possible for your situation. Uh, and be able to help you define sometimes, because again, sometimes clients walk in the office and they don't know, they don't, they've never actually had a conversation about these things. So we can mm-hmm. sometimes ask the unasked question and have your clients go away and think about it for a year and come back the following year. It's like, remember last year when you said, well, mm-hmm. sounds like something I'd say, sure. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. they spent time thinking about it because yeah. it's your wealth. It's your family's potential legacy. And, yeah. you know, it, it can matter, yeah. you know, just put, spending some time on it, developing a family relationship where you can talk about some of these things. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it can be well, well worthwhile. Brent, any other that you think would, would add to the conversation for our listeners to, um, I think, well, maybe when you mentioned the word resources, you know, I've been, um, a fan of sort of giving out a couple of books, but you know, there's, there's one, there's a book called willing wisdom 
New York Times bestseller. And it's just about setting up wills and why families don't do it. And it's uh, essentially the tagline that caught my eye was seven questions successful families ask. You know, and I thought, well, okay, so there's a list of seven questions. Great. Let's knock them off. Right. But they're a good starting point. Right. And uh, the key to me, a lot of this, though, is to think through like asking people what, and maybe this is to leave people to think about this. Um, and what do you want to do with your money? Right. That's just, you got to sit there and just start with that and think what's going to happen. And for us, as we invest on the accumulation phase for people, we, we try to, the tagline we work with is to invest with purpose, right? So what is the purpose for your money is similar on the estate planning side. And if you have enough for yourself and you work with a good financial planner, like Colin, who will help you identify how much is enough. And then you've got enough to insure yourself to, for the, what ifs things don't work out as planned in the plan. Then, then you've got enough for that and you're self-insured and you've got an excess. It's, well, okay, what do you want to do with this now? It, and maybe it's not even your kids, right? Maybe there's some fun discussions around charities and tax preferred donation of appreciated stock, you know, or even things like that, that are, are really you know, good, good discussions to have, but you really need to know what do you want to do with your money and, and, and how much do you need? And as you sort of answer those questions, you can proceed to sort of these next level um, topics. And I know you do this and I do too. It's all part of the process, right? That you then, when you're done in a six or seven or eight step process, you start over again and revisit. But the key would be to start early, I think, to communicate well about it with your family members and loved ones and, uh, and really get a clear sense of what you would like to have happen. Well, raise good kids. So you start with that. So, so that raise good kids that, you know, are rational people that you can deal with later in life. It's funny you bring up that, the books like that, Brandon, you know, as soon as I hear the seven key questions, <laughs> again, it's very remarkable. It's very consumable. And to the extent that it engages people and gets them to think at least about those seven things, I always, I bristle at it because it's like, what if there's eight questions or what if there's only three that no, matter or, you know. Because everybody, it's such a fluid thing and it's such a living beast. You know, this, and to your point, this isn't something you do and forget. No. This is something you do at a point in time and then you pick it up later and say, okay, at this point in time, does it make sense? You know, as my kids get older, as I change my, my priorities, as the health of my family changes, one of my kids gets married, there's grandkids. I, it's a living thing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's never going to be done. It's something that you should pick up from time to time, examine, make a plan and then put it away. And yeah. call it done for a while and then pull it back out when something changes or when a set amount of time has gone by, because there can be changes yeah. legislatively and tax wise that can cause changes to be needed as well. There are hundred percent will be right. You, we know there'll be change and the key is to have open-ended questions and to revisit frequently. And I think to work with someone like yourself or myself that helps you understand the things that you don't know right? To get out of your own head and realize these are topics that I can't be an expert on. Your clients are probably like mine. They're very busy and they need to have a trusted person that can help them see things that, that they can't see. And, uh, you know, that, that's a privilege for us to be able to sit in that chair and to try to try to help people with those, uh, topics. In fact, I'd even go so far, Brent, as to say, if you're retaining an advisor or working with an advisor and they do not ask you a question that makes you think, or they do not ask you a question that you don't know the answer to, then you're not dealing with the right advisor. That's a great, great point. Our job is to try to make you think about things. The worst thing in the world I can do is when a client comes in and says, I want to set up a trust for my grandkid. If I grab a boilerplate trust agreement and I put it in front of him and said, okay, what's the proper spelling of the kid's name? If I'm that advisor, I'm not helping. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing my job. 
I need to challenge what you think you want to do just to be sure that it's really what's in your best interest. And I'll tell you right up front, it's way easier to give people what they want. Yeah. I don't know. Go back to the marijuana stocks, Brent. I don't know if you remember those days, but yeah. marijuana is going to be legal. Hey, I, I could have sold a whole bunch of marijuana investments, but I didn't because I didn't think it was in people's best interest. So, you know, again, you know, sometimes we don't do what our clients ask us to do because it's not actually lining up with what they, what they really need. And, yeah. you know, so you should look for an advisor who is going to challenge you a little bit, at least make you think. And if you're not getting it, keep looking. There's one out there who will. Mm -hmm. I could not agree more. There's two different schools of thought on those types of advisors. One is the product seller who just wants to give you the product, whatever it is. And that's how they make their money. Or it'd be too bold as to say, I guess a weaker minded person who doesn't have the conviction or experience to challenge you back. Right. And that's really what you want. You think about how I mean, I, I can think about how I was raised. My father and my mother would ask me sometimes very challenging questions and they wouldn't say always, no, you can't do that unless it was going to be really detrimental to me. But it was, you know, these guided questions of tell me why you want to do that. Right. And, uh, and oftentimes they'd say, okay, you're a smart kid. You go ahead and make that choice. You, know, you, 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 you do what you think is best, right? There was no judgment to it. I'd go away realizing, oh, now I have ownership of this decision. They didn't just tell me. And nine times out of 10, I realized, oh, I can't do that. that, that, that would be, you know, and, uh, I, I kind of think of it like that a little bit too, but you have to be strong. You have to have an advisor who, who really has an opinion on something and actually has the courage and the, the, the confidence and authority to question um, what you're thinking of doing. And I know you definitely have, have that call. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're taking a jab at me there or not, but I'll, I'll take it as a go. I would, I would never. Yeah. I would quote Richard Thaler, one of the, you know, he won a Nobel prize, uh, in behavioral finance. He was on a podcast one time and he made the comment that, uh, it's, it's way, way more profitable to take advantage of people's weaknesses and try to fix them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of truth in that and greed makes the world go round. So, so just be careful. It's, it's, you know, the world's not necessarily lined up, uh, in your corner. So again, that's, that, that's why we're here, but Brent, we've been at this for a bit. Is there anything you feel that we've missed up to this point of uh, our conversation? No, I think that's a good uh, place to leave it. I don't uh, don't think people are still listening to us now after we're now we're in, right? So if we've lost you, uh, send send an email, <laughs> get in get in get in touch. <laughs> but uh, um, no, it's a great great conversation, one that's not had often enough, I think. And uh, and yeah, I think that idea of you said earlier, you know, find someone you can trust find someone that you can communicate well with. And those are the two good, good places to start. Well, Brent, thanks so much for taking this time here on bare naked money. And, uh, we'll, we're going to listen carefully to the feedback we get. And if the audience likes you, maybe we'll bring you back. Maybe uh, they will. Maybe they won't. <laughs> <laughs> it was an honor to be here, Colin. Thanks for having me on. All right. And, uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth Inc. IA Private Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth Inc. operates. We've noticed something. 
It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see. The content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.